0: Thank you, guys. All right. Well, if you want to open your Bibles to Deuteronomy 5, Deuteronomy chapter 5, and we are beginning this week with the second exposition. So I'm going to get ahead of myself as I try to find Deuteronomy 5. Uh, Deuteronomy 5. Today we're going to look at Deuteronomy 5, 1 through 21. and, uh, And like I just kind of alluded to, this is the beginning of... Uh, The second exposition of Moses, as they're on the plains of Moab there, about to cross the Jordan River to go in and take the land, Moses gives these three sermons, three um, uh, uh, expositions from the law that God gave them at Mount Sinai or Horeb uh, to both instruct this second generation on um, what God has done, what he is currently doing, and what they must do to be faithful as they go into the land. Um, But it also, like we saw right before we... um, finish the first exposition or the first sermon, it even talks about the latter days and the things that will come way down the road, even after uh, Israel does reject um, their Messiah and turn away from the law and all that sort of stuff, that there is still a future redemption and future work that God will do because of the Abrahamic covenant. So we talked about a lot of that stuff before the break. um, And uh, oh, and here's Here's the upcoming schedule. So I just kind of, it helped me uh, right before the break to kind of map out, like, where are we going and what's coming. So um, I will be out again February 4th and 11th. We're heading down to Florida for the Courageous Churchman Conference. We're going to see a couple of friends while we're down there. Um, And then I'll be back the 18th. And I think there's, uh, I mean, at that point, I'm locked in. I don't think there's a lot of missing dates um, until, I guess, Easter we won't meet. Uh, I'll be out one Sunday in May, and then maybe Labor Day after that, so, I mean, Lord willing, (laughs) we'll be locked in for a while, but I think between now and February 4th, we can get through, for sure, Deuteronomy 5, maybe even 6, Um, and then I did map out the rest of the year, and, like, Lord willing, Lord willing, (laughs) my goal is shooting for trying to finish Deuteronomy, uh, November 24th-ish, and, uh, I should have put an ish on the end of the th there, and, uh, and so it'd be great to, to that's kind of my, my goal, to walk through Deuteronomy over the next year. So we are jumping back in, like I said, today. Deuteronomy 5, we're going to be looking at um, chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. And we're really looking at uh, the Ten Commandments today. But, like I said, you know, my mind, as I jump back into this, and, and I've been swimming in this before, but, like, over the break, doing 1 John, I already... You know, there's a lot of things that I just had to come back to and remind myself of. And where were we at? And, and so I just thought that might be good to start with that. Like, uh, not recapping re, uh, everything we've talked about, but just a, a real quick, okay, what's the purpose of this book? What are we doing here? Where are we at? And then we can dive into this second part. So first and foremost, the purpose of Deuteronomy. Again, if you have been here, if you haven't been here, this is helpful to kind of see Deuteronomy in this light. It's a series of expositions or sermons by Moses. He's reviewing the history of the nation of Israel, everything that's happened mainly from Exodus to Numbers. I mean, he brings up the Abrahamic covenant, the promises that God made to the fathers way back in the day, but then he's really focusing on everything God's done from pulling them out of Egypt, bringing them through the wilderness to the point that they are right there now on the plains of Moab, everything that happened with the first generation. And most of the history is in that first the first uh, four chapters that we looked at. He's also challenging the new generation of Israelites. These are the children of the first generation that came out. The first generation at this point, when we're reading this letter, they're all dead. Other than Joshua and um, uh, Caleb, Uh, they've all, you know, once they crossed the river Zerud there on the way up, they they said that was the end of the first generation. And so now he is speaking to the second generation or the children of the the ones that actually uh, made this covenant with God at Sinai. Um, and they're going to be the ones that enter into the promised land. They're going to be the ones that um, are called to live faithfully to this covenant that Yahweh, their God, has made with them. And so that's what Deuteronomy is all about. He's calling the second generation to the same standard obedience to the covenant relationship, the Mosaic covenant that their fathers proclaimed at Mount Sinai, that they would follow the Lord and obey his commands. Um, also, I thought this is a good way to, this is, when we first talked about it, this is a good way to look at Deuteronomy. This is review and renew of the Mosaic Covenant. This is not a new covenant. It's just a new generation. God, Moses is basically reviewing uh, what God said at Mount Sinai and then renewing the covenant with this group before they walk in. Um, the second, I call it also the second generation exhortation. They're about to go in and take the land. A part of it is not only what God said at Mount Sinai and the standard they're called to live by, but they've witnessed with their own eyes how they've taken all the land uh, west of the Jordan uh, uh, two Amorite kingdoms that were powerful people that, that they should not have been able to defeat, but they were able to defeat them by God's leading. By and, and the key is their faithfulness to God leads them to victory over their enemies. The enemies that God is pronouncing judgment on because of their own sinfulness, the, the, the sinfulness of the Canaanites, but he's using Israel. But it only works if they're faithful to him. Does that make sense? So it's all about faithfulness, listening to what God has said, submitting to what he says, obeying what he says. Uh, It's it's their faithfulness and obedience that causes them to live in the land. And he reminds Israel of their history. He's preparing them for their future, both their immediate future, literally like uh, days away as they cross over the Jordan River, and the the last day's future, the things that will come to generations way later. uh, That's also wrapped up in the book of Deuteronomy. Um, one of the things we did talk about, and this is also a good way to look at Deuteronomy was, uh, in Deuteronomy 31, Moses says that the, the, this covenant renewal, what he's doing currently with them on the plains of Moab, this should happen every seven years in the nation of Israel. They should always be renewing this covenant. Every subsequent generation should be coming into covenant agreement with God, that we are your people, that you are our God, and we will submit to the law that you have given to us. Does that make sense? Now, when you look at it biblically, this didn't happen very often. We know it happened as soon as they crossed over the Jordan. Joshua brought them to Shechem. They had them on Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, and they renewed the covenant there. Possibly in the days of Josiah, way, way, way later, it happens again. But other than that, there's not a, I don't know if there's any other, off the top of my head, biblical texts that talk about Israel actually coming in to this covenant agreement with God throughout their history, which... Is a big deal. And we know that the generation after this, that you look at the book of Judges, I mean, immediately the Israelites fall away from the Lord, begin to adopt other gods, turn away from him. And uh, this, this covenant, the renewal, should have been that reminder all the time, every seven years. This is our Lord. This is our God. This is what he has done to love us. This is how we love him. And so, again, here's Deuteronomy thirty-one, ten through 13. Moses commanded them, saying, at the end of every seven years, at the time of the year, the remission of debts at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord, your God, the place with, with uh, which he will choose, you shall read this law in front of all of Israel in their hearing. And I, I believe he's talking about Deuteronomy, the the uh, his the, the sermons that he's um, giving them here. Assemble the people, the men, the women, the children, the alien that's in your town so that they may hear and learn and fear the Lord, your God. And be careful to observe all the words of this law. That's always the call. Listen meditate on, understand, and then live in submission too. That's always God's call for his people. Their children who have not known will hear and learn and fear the Lord your God as long as you live on the land which you're about to cross over the Jordan to possess. So again, kind of like a mini picture of what we're called to do with our children, to teach them, to discipline, instruct them so that they understand the truth of God. We're pointing them to Christ. This, this is the call for the leaders of Israel to always be calling the people of Israel into this covenant relationship with God. And like I said, we do see Joshua do this after they cross the Jordan, they take the land, they all come to Shechem and he did it. And it was awesome. And this is one time we see Joshua leading Israel and doing this. It says afterwards, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse according to all that is written in the book of the law, And again, I I believe he's talking about Deuteronomy specifically there. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before the assembly of Israel with the women, the little ones and the strangers who were living among them. So, again, that's if you look at Deuteronomy like that, not only does it it make a lot of sense. This is something that the Israelites should have always been reading. But every seven years coming back into that covenant relationship, renewing the Mosaic covenant and making sure that they're assessing all that they do uh, with the standard that God has given them. So how they govern their nation, how they are living and how they are worshiping him. Are we are we listening to and applying this uh, to the nation as a whole? Again, it also gives us good reason to study the book of Deuteronomy, because, again, even for God's people, though we are not Israel, these things are very applicable to us even as the church, and we talked about that. And I know we talked a little bit about hermeneutic. We don't submit to the, the law as Jews or as Israelites. We're not the, the new Israel or anything like that. But the things that God says, both about his character, his standard, uh, this reveals a lot about his love for his people, what he's done for them, and his desire for them to, to worship him, his desire for them to live lives of integrity, uh, his, his desire for them to worship him the way that he has required. There's a lot of things we learn there. Secondly, we learn a lot from Israel's lack of application of this. um, And we learn a lot from what God has done through Israel. And we see that over and over and over in the New Testament. Look at what Israel did. Don't do that. Watch how they hardened themselves because of sin. Don't do that. They they become an example for us. And so there is a lot of gold in the Old Testament. So here's what we did. Uh, Here's an outline of the first exposition real quick. Uh, the chapter one talks about how they got from Mount Sinai or Horeb where they were given the law to, uh, Kadesh Barnea. And that's where the first generation sent out the spies and were like, wait, these people are way too powerful, way too big. And the cities are way too big. We can't do this. And Joshua and Caleb are like, we've got to do it. God will be faithful. We just need to be faithful to them. And the first generation says, no, we're going back to Egypt. And then God says, well, then none of you are going to walk into the land. And then they're like, never mind, we'll go, we'll take the land. And God's like, don't do that either. <laughs> you know, so no matter what, they just always do the opposite of what God says. But the point being is that is when that the, the God takes an oath that none of them will enter into the land. And then chapter 2 and 3 basically takes them from uh, Kadesh Barnea to Moab. And we see the end of the first generation um, and then the second generation coming into the western part uh, on the other side of the Jordan River. And the focus of these chapters is on the defeat of Sion, the Amorite king in Heshbon, and then Og, the Amorite king in Bashan. Uh, and they take those lands, and that becomes uh, the territory now of half-tribe of Manasseh, Reuben, and Gad. And so they are on, they'll, they'll have land there, but they're going to go with their brother and in to take the rest of the land. And then chapter four is again, just a whole chapter basically on, uh, the exhortation for the Israelites to obey again, both seeing what you just did, like in life, taking this land and seeing what God has called you to be. He just keeps telling them, listen to what he says, be faithful to what he says obey what he says. That's the whole point. And so the first exhortation ends with God exhorting them to obey Moses, exhorting them to obey. And then the very end of the chapter, there is a prophecy about things that will come way later. Um, there's the whole cities of refuge. So if uh, someone accidentally kills someone when they're in the land that they can flee there until there can be a, um, a basically court hearing and they can decide Uh, If it was an accident, if it was premeditated, it's a way to uh, save the person from the revenge of the the brother of the person that died. And then the very end was the opening of the second exposition, which is where we're at today. So that's where we left off, and that's where we are at. What is this? Outline of second. Oh, this is where we're heading. Okay, so this is where we're going to do today. So if you look at the second exposition, first exposition, four chapters It's like sweet, quick sermon. Second sermon, Moses locked in. We're, we're, we're in for a long sermon here, all right? So this is chapters five all the way through 26. And this is really where he expounds the law given to him. So it's almost like the first sermon was about the history, right? Again, it had law in it, but it's, it's the history and, and you need to obey God's law. Now it is like, here's what God has said. And that's the majority of Deuteronomy. And then at the very end, it's going to go, and you won't. And when you don't, here's what he will do still in his faithfulness. And it talks about the latter days again. So, But basically, uh, for for a long time, we're going to be in the second exposition. Uh, The first part of it is really an exposition of the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments. Um, And uh, basically, that's chapters 5 through 11. And this shows God's relationship with Israel. Uh, The second kind of part of this sermon is an exposition of the statutes, basically what life will look like in the land or should look like in the land as they submit to him. And then finally, an exposition of the judgments from chapter 16, half of 16 to 26. That's kind of how we'll break it up. But we'll be in each part for a while, obviously. And so I wrote it here. The first exposition really emphasized the history, the recent history of Israel uh, and, and the formation of the nation. And the second exposition will emphasize the law for Israel. And this is good to understand. There's kind of three main categories of the law. People have broken it up this way. Um, and I think it's a good way to just kind of wrap your mind around the whole law. Cause if you just start reading, it's just a lot of stuff. And you're just like, some of it has to do with character. Some of it has to do with, you know, how to slaughter a bull. And some of it has to do with what happens if you steal something, you know what I mean? So it's just a lot of, a lot of law, a lot of rules, a lot of expectations. And if you kind of look at it like this, you got the moral law, which is the character of God's people, what they're called to, to live like how they imitate his character and who he is. Uh, You got those kind of law in the law in there. That would be where the Ten Commandments are and all that. You got the civil law which tells them how to govern their nation. So that'll have to do with, you know, the eye for eye, tooth for a tooth. What happens if someone does, you know, accidentally kill your sheep? You know, what do you do with that? And, uh, you know, um, and, and how to execute like judgment when it comes to different legal cases and stuff like that. And then you got the ceremonial law, which is how God expects his people to worship him. And he lays that out very clearly, how Israel is to worship him. So all that being said, again, still, as the church, we're not Israel. So a lot of times people say, well, we don't obey the civil law or the ceremonial law because it was for Israel alone, but the moral law is for us. But another way I think it's helpful to look at it is all this has been fulfilled in Christ. You can learn from all of this, but this all has to do with Israel. The reason the moral law applies to us is because the morals of God don't change, and the New Testament reemphasize all of this. In fact, Jesus gets—we'll I, I, talk about this today—how Christ himself recaps the, the Ten Commandments, a lot of them— And, and then gets behind it. It's like, it's not just don't murder. I mean, if you're angry at your brother, you're already there. Like, and he, he gets behind the actual, it's not just the outward action. It never was. I mean, that's what God's trying to convey here. It was never just the outward action. It was the intent and the thought and the heart behind it. God wants purity throughout, you know, your, 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 your life. And so we'll talk about that. But like I said, rather than be like, okay, we accept this part of the law, but we don't accept this part of the law. That, that gets confusing, and I don't think that's... The, the purpose of this is this is how Israel is to live. This is for the people of Israel, and this is the law that God made with Israel. And Israel did not submit to this law, and Christ fulfilled this law perfectly. And now we're still called to the same, a lot of the same standards of morality, but through Christ and through the law of Christ. And he has explained that very clearly. And so I want to go about it that way. So it doesn't get confusing. And we are like, so which part of the law do we obey? And does this fall in the moral or does this fall in the ceremonial? You don't need to do that stuff. You just need to learn from it, glean from it. Don't be like Israel. Submit to everything that God says. And he has clearly articulated in his word and in the New Testament, what we are called to be as the church, as children of God. So here's where we left off. And I want to reread this because the end of chapter four is really the beginning of the second exposition. And it says this. So this is after the whole city's a refuge and how to do that. He says, "Now this is the law which Moses set before the sons of Israel. These are the testimonies and the statutes and the ordinances which Moses spoke to the sons of Israel when they came out from Egypt across the Jordan." So he's going to. He, here's the setting in the valley in the valley opposite Beth Peor. That was where you know uh, in Numbers you had Balaam and, and Balak, the um, uh, uh, not Moabite, uh, Midianite king. Uh, that was trying to get Israel, you know, he wants Balaam to pronounce the curse and all that. And then then some of these second generations actually, you know, began to uh, worship their gods and acting in um, immorality, engaged in immorality with some of the women and God judged them. And so, again, Mm -hmm. it's like this is all very recently happened. But now here they are. They're in the valley opposite of Beth Peor, where a lot of that happened. In the land of Sion, king of the Amorites, whom they just defeated, who lived at Heshbon, who Moses, the sons of Israel, defeated when they came out from Egypt. They took possession of his land and the land of Og, king of Bashan, the two kings of the Amorites that were across the Jordan to the east. From uh, Aroer, which is on the edge of the valley of Arnon, that's the south, even as far as Mount Sion, that is Hermon, that's on the north. So it's basically just showing the extent of the land. They, all this now belongs to Israel because of these... Uh, but because of the, the defeating these kings. Uh, with all the Araba across the Jordan to the east, even as far as the Sea of the Araba, so that's Yom Suf, the sea down low. Uh, the Araba is the desert there between it uh, at the foot of the slopes of Pisgah. Pisgah is one of those mountains, the mountains of um, uh, the Moabites there, and I can't remember the name of the mountain range, but tiny little mountains that they can look out and they can see the sea, they can see the land, they can see the Jordan River, they can maybe see Jericho. That's the setting. So we're here. And, and he's given all these sermons there on those plains. And so that's kind of the, the opening of the second exhortation. Like I said, um, it's, uh, it's not a new covenant or a new law. It's a renewal of the law that they already have. And so here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the first five verses, the exhortation to Israel. And then we're going to look at the actual Ten Commandments, uh, an exposition of the Decalogue. Whoops, I'm stepping all over it. <laughs> all right, so uh, let's we'll start with the, the exhortation to all Israel here's what Moses says. It says, Moses summoned all Israel and he said to them, hear, O Israel, the statutes and the ordinances, which I am speaking today in your hearing, that you may learn them and observe them carefully. Uh, The Lord, our God, made a covenant with us at Horeb. The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us, with all those who um, of us alive here today. The Lord spoke to you face to face at the mountain from the midst of the fire, while I was standing between the Lord and you at the time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire and did not go up to the mountain. And he said, and then we'll look at exactly what he said. But there's some things to look at, to, to pull out of here that are very helpful. First and foremost, all Israel. When he talks about all Israel, again, this is the nation of Israel. If you look at the Old Testament as a whole, even the New Testament, Paul talks about all Israel will be saved. He's talking about the nation, the redemption of the nation. It does not mean that every single person in Israel was, if you want to use New Testament terminology, born again or belong to many Israelites, Abandoned God, did not believe in God, did not have faith in God, uh, rejected God. And many Israelites had faith in God, believed in God, submitted to God. So even in the nation of Israel, you had believers and unbelievers, just like even in the church, you got believers and unbelievers. So similarity in that sense. Does that make sense? But the nation of Israel as a whole is God's nation. And the nation of Israel as a whole is in this covenant relationship with God. They're the only nation that has ever had a conditional covenant relationship with God. And that's, that's what we're talking about here. So Moses summons Israel as a whole, all of Israel, the nation, and he calls them to this covenant uh, obedience. Uh, and here he says, hear, O Israel. Uh, this is this is that word Shema. You may have heard of the Shema where the Shema is like uh, Deuteronomy 6. We always talk about Deuteronomy 6 as being the Shema, which the Israelites memorize and recite all the time. It's what Shane just said. They put it in their phylactery, 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 whatever, and put them on their their head and all that. Uh, it was very important. But this hero Israel is said over and over throughout this um, this second um, exposition. And again, he's just calling them to, to listen. It's basically calling all Israel to listen and obey. It's not just memorize. It's not just a head knowledge. It's, it's listening with intensity so that you then will live in um, uh, e- equal to, to what you're hearing. It's what Shane just talked about in there. I mean, you know, we, we preach this standard and strive to live in submission to it. It's not just about... You know, having a good theology or having a good Bible knowledge. The reason we want to know the Word is so that the Word can do its work in our life and we strive to imitate and live like Christ. We're going to fail all the time, but it calls us both to obedience, submission to Him, our dependence upon Him. So, that's what this is all about. So over and over and over, you're going to see this in Deuteronomy in the second exposition. He's going to, be, he's going to say, hear, O Israel, the statutes, the ordinances, which I'm speaking to you today in your hearing, that you may learn them and observe them carefully. That's what we hear here. In Deuteronomy 6, same thing. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it. It's actually the same terminology, just in the English. It doesn't say, hear, O Israel. And then again, in Deuteronomy 6, 4, hear, O Israel uh, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Deuteronomy 9, one. same thing. The, another call to listen in obedience to. You're crossing over the Jordan today, going to dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. Great cities fortified to heaven. And he's going to call them. The only way that's possible is faithfulness, submission. You're not going to do this in your own strength. It's impossible to do it in your own strength. You must faithfully submit to Him. God is your strength. God is the warrior. God is the one that will will judge the Canaanites and give you the land all because of his promise with Abraham. You must be quick to listen and obey. Deuteronomy 23, the same thing. You're approaching the battle to your enemies today. Don't be faint-hearted. Don't be afraid and panic and tremble. Again, the call is to listen to what God says and then faithfully act in obedience to him. He will take care of you. You be faithful to him. Again, direct application to us as the church. We're not Israel but that's exactly true for us, right? We must be faithful to him. He will take care of us. He always does. When we feel like we got to take things into our own hands, that is the moment of faithfully submission, submitting to him. And again, it's, it's like any, any act of submission. It's always easy to submit to somebody when they're giving you what you want and you're getting what you want. And it's like, you know, it's easy to submit in those Areas it's it's hard to submit when someone's making a decision and you're like I would have done that differently or when when someone is leading you into something that is hard and it's hard for us to submit to the Lord when we're walking through trials when we're walking through hardship when we're walking through times in life where we don't know what this is going to turn out to to, to be those are the only times submission matters right that's the only time we have to be faithful to listen and obey if you're good at obeying. I always say, you know, if you're happy on your birthday, anybody can do that. It's, 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 are you thankful and happy when everything is going wrong in your estimation? But God's ordained all of these circumstances for your good. You know what I mean? That's where we have to listen and trust him. That's the hardest time. And we all understand that. So again, look at Israel. Have sympathy and compassion. Understand they are walking through some rough stuff and facing some very big trials. But don't imitate what they did when they turned against the Lord and went after other gods or did things on their own, that that, then they become an example to us. But over and over and over, hear, O Israel, listen and obey. Then he says this, the Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us, with all those of us alive here today. Is it a little funny? And it's good to go, what does he mean by this? So because the Lord did very explicitly make a covenant with their parents and grandparents at Horeb. Uh, In fact, I mean, if you go read Exodus 24, 7 through 8, I didn't put it up here. But it says, he, Moses, took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, their parents and grandparents, and they said, their parents and grandparents, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance to all these words. So, again, it's not a contradiction. It's just that what the Lord is saying here is that, you know, the Lord did make a covenant with their parents, but their parents are dead. And this covenant applies to them at this point. Does that make sense? And so he's, he's basically, what he's getting at here is you can't just be like, well, that was mom and dad that made that covenant with you, not me. I can do what I want to do. He's saying, no, no, no. You belong to Israel by my ordaining work. And you are Israel and therefore you are part of this. So each generation, each generation can't look back. It's like, it would be like our kids We're called to repentance and obedience. And they're like, you know, they're like, well, you know, I didn't commit to that. And it's like, yeah, but you've heard it and you're accountable to what you've heard now. And there's no turning back from that. You can't unhear it. You can't unknow it. And you have to purposefully suppress it and reject it at this point, which is way scarier for you. Right. Um, for Israel, a little different in the sense that they are God's people. Each generation is still Israel and each generation is still held to the standard of this covenant. And so what Moses is getting at here with the second generation is no matter what happened before you, you are Israel and God's making this covenant with you. These words were said at Horeb and this is you. And so again, um, the the covenant transcends time; it transcends generations. Is now being renewed with the second generation. Deuteronomy seven nine through eleven talks about this. Um, he says, "Know therefore that the Lord your God, He's God. Uh, he's a faithful God. He keeps His covenant and His loving kindness. That is covenant keeping love to a thousand to a thousandth generation with those who love Him and keep His commandments. But repays those who hate Him to their faces to destroy them. He will not delay." with him who hates him, and he will repay him to his face. Therefore, you shall keep the commandment and the statutes and the judgments which I'm commanding to you. So they can never say it wasn't us, it was them. Each generation is accountable to this covenant that God made with the nation of Israel at Horeb or at Mount Sinai, even though they were not present on the day that the covenant was ratified. These, some of these people that are here on the plane, some of them were 20 and under when that stuff was happening, and they may remember the fire and the darkness and and God showing up on Mount Sinai. But a lot of them, maybe the majority of them, weren't even born at that time. Does that make sense? But even if they weren't born at that time, they were born in the wilderness over the last 40 years and they're standing here today, they're still in covenant relationship with God because they are Israel. And so, again, this covenant should be renewed every seven years throughout every generation. Um, and even though Israel was unfaithful to do this and... Neglected the covenant that did not negate the binding covenant that God had made with Himself and Israel. Actually, uh, this was a good quote from—I didn't write it down. I think it's Peter Craigie from his uh, um, his uh, commentary on, on Deuteronomy. But he said, "The existence. Oh no! This is not a quote. This is me. <laughs> Sorry." <laughs> I was like, "Why didn't I write this down?" Better. No, it's not even better. <laughs> this is me trying to articulate it. The existence of Israel is unconditionally guaranteed by the Abrahamic covenant. God made a covenant with Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. I'm sorry, Jacob, Isaac, and um, I'm sorry, Abraham, Isaac. Isaac, Isaac, and Jacob. That that he would bless them, that he would make a nation from them, that he that through their offspring all the earth would be blessed, and he would give them the land. Because of that, Israel is unconditionally guaranteed to be a nation and, and it is the land that God's given them. But the existence of Israel in the land, their ability to enjoy the blessings of God as his people, those are dependent on their faithful obedience to the Mosaic covenant that God made with them at Horeb and Sinai. So when you read in the Old Testament and you see the, the, the promise that God made to the fathers or that kind, of, that kind of terminology, he's talking about the Abrahamic covenant. Because of that, Israel will always be a nation. Because of that, they can't be destroyed. Because of that, they must repent. They must come back into the land. But it's the Mosaic covenant that God made with them at Mount Sinai that if they do not obey, they will lose the land. If they do not obey, their enemies will overtake them. They will be cast around all of the earth, which they are still to this day, and the curses of God will come upon them. So maybe that helps uh, help it make sense as you look back and you see these covenants. The next thing he says is, uh, you know, God made this covenant with them at Horeb. And he says, the Lord spoke to you face to face at the mountain from the midst of the fire. While I was standing between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire and didn't go up. When God says he spoke to them face to face, it's not that they saw the face of God. I mean, this is this is the unseeable God that, that, you know, there's you, you, you don't see God in that sense. It's a way to, I mean, they saw the fire, they saw the darkness. Um, but again, over and over you, uh, he says this, he uses this face to face terminology. And actually I thought these verses help explain what he means. Uh, In Deuteronomy 4.12, we just talked about this before Christmas. He says, the Lord spoke to you from the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but you saw no form, only a voice. So speaking face to face, they did not see the form or the face of God. They heard the voice of God. But when he says they spoke face to face, again, I think Exodus 33.11 helps us understand this. It says, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. Uh, And then Deuteronomy 34, no prophet has arisen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. So when he says, I spoke to you face to face, he's talking about the, the relationship that he has with them, that he was speaking directly to the nation of Israel, person to person. Israel heard directly from God. That's unprecedented and very, very special that God chose them specifically and spoke to them specifically as if to a friend or as directly to them. And that's what Moses is saying. This law is special. God himself spoke to you directly, called you out to be his people, his children, his nation. They can call rightfully call him their father. And, and, and they have entered into a relationship with God that is distinct and different than any other people group on the planet. They need to understand this is amazing love that God has for this nation And the call with this law is for them to act because they have been loved by him to love him in return. And that's that's what all the law is about. And so Moses said, I was standing between you and God. He was the he was not the author or the creator of these words. He was just the mediator between God and Israel. But God is still speaking to them face to face directly to them. And that is a very, very special thing, which I think leads us into this next part and makes when we talk about the Ten Commandments, it's easy to look at these things as just like the law of God. But again, the Ten Commandments, they are the law of God. But this is the loving God that called Israel out, brought them out to be his people because of his love for their forefathers and his love for them. And all of this law, again, and we know this because of what Christ says in the New, the New Testament, we'll talk about that in a second, is a call for them to love him in return. Does that make sense? And, and, and if you understand it that way, this, this is some of the most special, meaningful, and wonderful stuff. And that's how, like I said, even for us, not being Israel, we still look at this and go, I want to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and strength, just like he called Israel. So we'll start this today. We won't finish. Um, but let's look at the, the, the purpose of, of the law itself. All right. So the purpose of God's law is that God's law showed his love for his people and explained how his people were to imitate his love in response. Does that make sense? And that would affect both the way they treat him or worship him or act towards him, if you want to say that, and how they treat one another. And that's what the law is about. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. With all that you are, you love him with everything this is what the law is all about. Again, it's only a misunderstanding of the law or a lack of relationship with God that looks at the old Testament and thinks, man, God, the old Testament was harsh. Jesus is love. You know, it's like, first thing, Jesus was super harsh, right? I mean, he says a lot about judgment. I mean, he called. look, we're right in the middle of it, Matthew 23. I mean, he is going to say some really harsh things to the Pharisees, but it's not harsh. It's, it's, it's God in truthfulness and honesty calling hypocrites to repentance, which again is many times why people call God harsh, because they themselves are acting in the same hypocrisy and they don't like when God says no. You know what I mean? God is always, God is love and all that God does is love. Now, even, even in his judgment and even in his condemnation of evil and sin, that is still out of love, both for a call to repentance, the people doing it, and then to rescue the people that are striving to be faithful to him from the presence of wickedness. In the end, even the, the final judgment of God is all still a demonstration of his love because his judgment and his love can't be separated. It's not like he judges and that's awful and he loves and that's wonderful. His judgment and his love is part of who he is and all of it is wonderful. And so again, when you look at the law, you have to understand that this is the love of God. Here's my quote from Peter Craigie. The Decalogue was representative of God's love in that its injunctions, both negative and positive, led not to the restriction of life. Again, that's how the fleshly man looks at the law. He restricts me from fun. It's like what Adam and Eve in the garden. Oh, that that fruit, the only thing that you told me I can't have, that's the one thing that's keeping me from something that I need. You know, that's what we do naturally. God's law doesn't restrict us from life. It, It leads us to the fullness of life. It demanded a response of love, not because obedience would somehow accumulate credit in the sight of God, but because the grace of God experienced already in the uh, uh, liberation from Egypt and in the divine initiative in the covenant promise elicited such a response from man in gratitude. Again, it's looking at what God has done and all that God has blessed us with and all that God is and why are we recipients of all of His amazing grace and blessings in life. And then the response is, I will love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I'll submit to anything that you say. You are my Lord and my God. And again, those things don't well up in us naturally. It's a work that God does in us supernaturally that causes us. He loved us first so that we could love Him. But the law is all about God's love for them and how they are to love others. And again, we know that because God showed up and told us that. And that's cool. God who spoke this law, God who gave Israel this law, became a man, God incarnate, and then talked about the heart or the purpose of the law that he gave. And so when Christ was on this earth, again, here's some of the things that Jesus himself says about his own law. Uh, one of the Pharisees came to him teacher, which is the greatest command in the law. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments depends the whole law and prophets. Everything he says, all of the laws, ceremonial, civil, moral, added all together. It was all based on that. This is how you love God. This is how you worship him because you love God. This is how you run your government because of your love for him. This is how you treat one another because of your love for him. This is what the whole thing is about. All of it is founded on love. We're the ones that are unloving. We're the ones that call our unloving selfishness and pride love and distort things and and do things for our own good or for our own benefit and call that love. And God is like, that's not love. Love is this love is sacrificing yourself for others, expending yourself for others, uh, submitting yourself to others out of a desire to both love them and serve them, appoint them to me. That's what love is. And that's what we, we see in the law. It's both a love for him and a love for others. Jesus himself says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Again, the, the, the response of the, 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 the listen to this and be faithful, listen and obey. All God is saying is love me. I've told you everything that I am, all that I've done. You've seen it with your own eyes and I'm speaking to you personally, face to face. Love me. That's what this whole thing is about. And Christ says, if you love him, you will keep his commands. In first John five, three, it says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. The only people that are burdened by the commandments of God are the people that don't want to submit to him because they think that God's withholding from them something good. And that's in all of us. I, I feel that every time my, my, my flesh wells up or there's some temptation or there's some desire for things in this world, whatever it may be, whether it's a desire to be loved by somebody or a desire for material wealth or anything in between, or just some sinful desire. That's always the pull, right? That we feel like submitting to him is going to keep us from something good. But then you need to retrain your mind to be renewed by his word. That That's the exact opposite. In fact, uh, 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 constraining yourself or restraining yourself, submitting to him and being conformed into his image by submitting to him is actually not only love, but is blessing for you and good for you. Like, retrain your mind to trust him and not buck against him. John 14 and 15, Jesus again says it over and over. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one that loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father. I will love him and disclose myself to him. If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So wrapped up in all those verses, not only do we see very, very clearly that God meant obedience to his commands to be a demonstration of our love for him and an imitation of his love for us. He loved us first. We love him in return. Again, apply that to Israel. God did these things for you, brought you out as a people group, made you a nation. All the earthly blessed through you love me. That's what it's all about. But like I said, when God himself showed up, he clearly said, this is love. Love is that you obey me. And you will know that love as you submit and obey. So the Ten Commandments then explain how to love God. Both how to worship Him, how to vertically love God. The first four commandments are really about how to love God. And the last six commandments are how to love one another, which is also still how to love God, the way that we treat one another. So as we look at the Ten Commandments next week, because we're not going to do that today, uh, just remember that. This is a good foundation before you start reading the Ten Commandments or you start reading the Decalogue. You start reading the law of God, given in Exodus, Leviticus, and, and, uh, and then here again in Deuteronomy. All of this is to express uh, his love for us and our love for him. But let me say this last thing. One of the things we also need to remember is this. Matthew five seventeen through 19, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law of the prophets. He didn't come to change it. He didn't come to get rid of it. He says, I, I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, that's the Noahic covenant, by the way. Just a reminder that everything's going to happen. It has to. Not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. So he himself will be the fulfillment of the law. He will be the perfect sacrifice, the great high priest, all of those things. And he himself will fulfill all of the things that have been promised to us through the Old Testament or the law, like the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, the priestly, all those things will find their fulfillment in Christ when he returns. But remember that. So nothing is abolished. He only fulfills what God says God will do. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So I think it's just one more call for us. To pay attention to every word, everything that He's revealed in the law. Yes, we are not the nation of Israel. We are the church. And most of us in here are full-fledged Gentiles that have been grafted in to these promises and these blessings that God has revealed to Israel in the Old Testament. And so we don't submit to the, the law in the way that He called them to submit. And at the same time. These words are meant for our good and we don't annul any of them and we listen intently to all of them and we make sure that we are getting from the, the law all that God has blessed us with as the church. Does that make sense? And so, again, I just think it's good to, in my mind, to, to think of it that way as we walk through this um, and the, to remember that Christ is the fulfillment of the law, which is a wonderful blessing. And the book of Hebrews just explains so much about that. That is is mind-blowing. So we'll end there today, um, and uh, we'll jump into an actual exposition of the Ten Commandments next week. But let me pray for us, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us your law. Thank you for these words that you have uh, given us in Scripture uh, that we know come from from your mind, that these are face-to-face, direct communication between you and your people Israel uh, to reveal to Israel who you are. Uh, what your love has done for them, uh, the manifestation of your love and all that you um, promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all that you've done for the nation, even up to this point so far, even the defeating of their enemies and leading them through the wilderness and feeding them manna and their clothes and shoes and everything not wearing out. And Father, help us to see those things and then recognize in our own life how you do the same thing for us. Here we are in existence in this life. Here we are Being able to hear the word of God given to us throughout the ages, the complete word of God now that we are partakers of through the church, uh, through you sending people into our lives to proclaim your truth to us. Uh, that, That we're sitting here with open ears and open eyes only because of your wonderful love and your grace. None of us deserve to be here. All of us deserve your wrath but you and your kindness and grace have brought us here to hear your truth, to be broken by your word, to see our own sinfulness, to reflect on, on Israel and, and their weakness and their sin and how they rejected you and to look at ourselves and go, I would do the same thing and help us, Father, to, not, to, to see their example and to not go down that path. Help us to do what you called Israel to do today, to hear your word, to listen to your voice, to keep your word close in our heart and to submit to and obey everything that you have given to us. Father, we thank you for your love, and we thank you for your grace, and we thank you most of all for sending your Son to fulfill the law for us uh, and, and, to, and to give us eternal life. We pray this in your heavenly name. Amen. Thank you guys so much.